Shalom and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com and our study of Sefer Torim. My name is Menachem Liptag. Today we continue our study of Parshat Re'eh, Shur number 6 out of 6. Our study today will be the Shalosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage holidays, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot in Sefer Dvarim, chapter 16, verses 1 through 17. And our additional topic today will be the number 7, and soon we will explain why. As one studies the various laws in Sefer Dvarim, you sometimes get the impression that we're jumping from topic to topic in a rather random manner. But when one looks from a wider angle and takes into consideration the Ten Commandments, there is some logic to the flow of topic. Recall that the main speech began with the Ten Commandments, and the concept of the covenant made at Harsinai to be God's people. And then the law is divided into two primary sections, the Hamitzvah section, chapters 6 through 11, which was about loving God and fearing God and not following other gods, and those laws were quite parallel to the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments, that I am your God, and you can't have any God instead of me. So therefore, the concept of loving God and fearing God and clinging to God and not serving other gods, one could understand that as an extension or an expansion of the first two commandments in the Aser Tadibrot. So if that assumption is correct, then the Chukim and Mishpatim section from chapters 12 through 26 should reflect the last eight commandments. Recall the third commandment, do not carry God's name or reputation in vain. That could be very parallel to the, all the laws we saw in chapters 12, 13, in the beginning of chapter 14, that all centered around the theme of Hamakom Hashem, the Shakein Shmosham. So the theme of Shem Hashem is very prominent in chapter 12 and also in chapter 14. And in chapter 13, we had the fear of bad influences that will cause the Jewish people to follow other gods and that way desecrate God's name. So one could look and understand that the laws in chapter 12, 13, and the first half of chapter 14, focus primarily on making a name for God and not making a name for other gods, and hence an extension of commandment number three. If that's the case, the next topic should be an extension of commandment number four, which is the laws of Shabbat. And sure enough, in chapter 15, we began with the Shemitah cycle every seven years. And we have the seven years of an Ebedivri, and then when we get to the holidays, which is quite parallel to Shabbat itself, we have seven days of Chag HaMatzot, we have seven weeks that we count, and then finally the seven days of Chag HaSukot. So one can understand all the laws in chapters 15 and 16 as an expansion of the concept of Shabbat from commandment number four. In our shir next week, we will see that the next topic will be about judges and kings and all types of leadership, and that could be an extension of the fifth commandment of honoring one's parents. Later in Parshat Shoftim, we'll see the laws about going to war, which could be an extension of Lot Tirzach, of Asha, not murder. So again, this may all be coincidental, but it could be that the laws are following the overall pattern of the Ten Commandments, because all these laws in Sefer Tvarim are basically applying the underlying concept of being a nation serving God, and applying it to establishing a nation in the land of Israel, which will sanctify God primarily by establishing a just and upright society. So with this in mind, let's begin now with chapter 16, verse 1, Perek Tetzayin, Pasuk Aleph. Shamor et Chodesh Ha'aviv, Vasita Pesach Ladunai Elohecha. Make sure to keep the month of the spring and make a paschal sacrifice to Hashem your God. Ki b'chodesh Ha'aviv, Hotziacha Adonai Elohecha mimitzrayim laila. Because in the month of the spring, Hashem your God took you out of Egypt during the night. The opening line is a commandment for the nation and not for the individual. Not every individual can set the calendar. Only the Supreme Court in Jerusalem can set the calendar. 
How does the Supreme Court determine when to add a month? There's a lunar calendar, which is 12 months, and a solar calendar, which is 12 months and about 11 days. So every two or three years, we're going to need to add a month. When do we add a month? If 12 months have passed, if the grain is not sprouting yet and not ready to harvest, then we add a month, and that is what we call a leap year. And during that month of the spring, make sure to bring the Pesach sacrifice to Hashem your God. Now, the actual laws of how to bring Karban Pesach, those laws Amisrael already received when they left Egypt, as recorded in chapter 12 and 13 in Sefer Shemot. Now we're going to add something that was not found earlier in Sefer Shemot. Pasik Bet, verse 2. Pesach la son Then you should bring Pesach offering, Tashem your God, from your sheep and from cattle. We'll talk about that phrase in a minute. In the place that God will choose for his name to dwell there. And here we return once again to the theme of this national center, which we've seen consistently in our study of Parshat Re. What's interesting is that Korban Pesach in Egypt was brought at home. In fact, the whole idea of Korban Pesach in Egypt was celebate avot celebite. The home was the central theme of those laws, and every household made a Korban Pesach. Now, Sefer Dvarim was telling us that was a law back in Egypt. Once you come to the land of Israel and settle down and have one central place of worship, now Korban Pesach must be brought in Yerushalayim and not in your home. Now we also know that according to Sefer Shmot, Korban Pesach is brought from sheep and not from cattle. It's from Tzon and not from Bakar. So all the commentators talk about that. And they explain here that we bring the Korban Pesach from our Tzon, from the sheep. And in addition to that, we also bring what's called a Korban Shlamim, an extra sacrifice, to make sure we have enough meat so that when we eat the Karban Pesach, we'll be satiated. And that can be brought already from cattle. Ebenezer brings up the possibility that the original law in Egypt was to bring the Karban Pesach from sheep. Sefer Dvarim is telling us you could also bring Karban Pesach from cattle if you were wealthy enough. But he brings up that possibility, but prefers the first that's referring not to the Karban Pesach coming from cattle, but rather to the Korban Shlamim, or the Chagiga, coming from the cattle. Pasig Gimel, verse 3. When you bring Korban Pesach, you can't have chametz with it, no leaven. Instead, for the next seven days, you eat matzot. Lechem oni, there are three different explanations. Lechem oni can be poor man's bread. Lechem oni can be bread that reminds us of our affliction in Egypt. Or lechem oni can be conversation bread. Lechem she'onim alav dvarim harbe. And I think all three explanations are correct because it is indeed conversation bread because when we take out the matzah, we begin our conversation and tell the story of the Exodus. It also reminds us of our inui, of our suffering, as God had forecasted already in Brit Ben Aptarim. And it also reminds us of our simple lifestyle in Egypt as poor man's bread. The passage continues, When you left Egypt, you were being rushed out by the Egyptians. In order that you remember the day you left Egypt, all the days of your life. We quote this verse at our Seder, and the main point that Sefer Dvarim is making is that the memory of the Exodus is something we need to know every day of our life, and the main commandment is a daily memory of the Exodus. That memory is something transformative. It's not only gratitude to thank God that He took you out of Egypt, but it's also remembering why He took you out of Egypt, to sensitize you, to make sure that in your day-to-day life, you're always thinking about those in need and those who are less fortunate. Pasig Dalit, verse 4. For seven days, no leaven shall be found 
in all the borders of your country, wherever you're living. Nor can you leave over any of the meat that you sacrifice at night for your Karban Pesach. It cannot be left over that evening till the next morning. Instead, by the next morning, if it wasn't eaten, it needs to be burned. That's called the law of Notar. The reason for that law is simple. We want to make sure that everyone eats Karban Pesach to the heart's content. We don't want to save the meat for a later time. And to make sure everyone is eating and everyone is enjoying the meal, there's a law, no leftovers. Pasakei, now there's a warning. Someone might think, maybe lechatchila, I can bring the Korban Pesach to Yerushalayim, but if I can't, maybe I can do it at home. And to counter that possibility, Pasakei, verse 5 says, Lo tuchal sharecha asher Adonai lecha noten lach. You are not able, it is not permitted, to sacrifice the Passover offering in any of your gates or in any of your cities that Hashem, your God, is giving to you. Instead, Pasek Vav, Verse 6, Instead, only in the place that Hashem will choose for His name to dwell, again, what we refer to as Yerushalayim, there you must sacrifice the Korban Pesach in the evening, as the sun is setting on the anniversary of the date that you left Egypt. Now there's a problem. Someone may think, I must sacrifice the Korban Pesach in Yerushalayim, but maybe I can bring it home and eat it in my hometown. To counter that possibility, Pasuk Zayin, verse 7, You have to cook it and eat it in the place that God will choose. Again, not only must you shech the Korban Pesach in Yerushalayim, it must be cooked and consumed in Yerushalayim as well. And you can turn in the morning and begin your journey back to your tents or back home. And we conclude these laws with Pasachet, verse 8. For six days eat matzah. On the seventh day, you have a gathering for Hashem your God. Do not do any work. Now, there's a major argument among the commentators. What six days is this referring to? Is this in addition to the first day of Passover, which was already mentioned when we bring the Korban Pesach, we eat matzah for another six days. And on the seventh day, which is the last of these six days, we have a gathering for God where work is now forbidden. Or some commentators say, no, it's referring to the first six days of Passover. And on the seventh day, we have a gathering. Of course, we matzah on that day as well. But the seventh day is special because it's the last day of the holiday and a day that work is forbidden. What's important for our share is the wording of verse 8, which should remind us of Shabbat and the Ten Commandments. That's the pattern of the law of Shabbat in the Ten Commandments. And here this law follows the same format. Six days eat matzah, and the seventh day we have a gathering. And as we explained before, these laws are all expansions of the concept of Shabbat. And we'll have to see now the connection between the concept of a week and the agricultural holidays that will continue now in verse 9 with the laws of Shavuot. Pasuk Tet. Now we must count for seven weeks, beginning from when? When the sickle begins to cut down the grain that's standing up straight, kama means to stand up. Once it stands up straight and becomes dry, then it's time to harvest that grain, and that grain that's ready to harvest is called kama. So as soon as one can begin to take the sickle and start harvesting your grain, from that day on, we begin to count seven weeks. Again, not everyone does this on their own. This is decided by the Supreme Court, by Beit Din. 
Of course, due to the juxtaposition of the laws of Passover, the rabbis logically understand that the first week of these seven weeks is the first week of Passover, the very same seven days that we just counted. That's the first week of the seven weeks, and now we count six more weeks. Pasuk Yud, verse 10. Then you should make a holiday called Shavuot, because we've counted seven weeks, and those seven weeks coincide with the grain harvest in the land of Israel. There's only about two months during the year that barley and wheat can be harvested, and that grain harvest is exactly these seven weeks of Shavuot. And what do we bring? A tribute of a free will offering of your hand, according to the blessing that Hashem your God has given you, and that's the present that you should dedicate to God. We should note that this holiday, back in Sefer Shmot in Pasha Mishpatim, when it was first introduced, was called Chaga Katsir, which means your grain harvest holiday, and was never called Shavuot. And that's for a very good reason, because I can't call it Shavuot until I have the commandment to count for seven weeks. But here again, we find the number seven being very central in this entire section. Note as well that by Passover, the holiday was introduced as Shmort Chodesh Aviv, keep the month of the spring. The spring is an agricultural date. That's the time of the year that you can begin to harvest grain. And then we count these seven weeks, which is our grain harvest, and have the holiday, and we call it Shavuot, relating to the number seven. Then several months later, we're going to see the holiday of Sukkot, which we celebrate for seven days again. And that's going to be called Chag HaSif, when we gather our fruit harvest. So why is the number seven so central in all these agricultural holidays? I think the reason is very simple. Because as we've seen earlier, when we enter the land of Israel, there's a very reasonable fear that the people will begin to serve the local gods of Canaan, which were gods of nature. And the farmer who cares about his crops will do anything to make sure his crops grow properly. And if there was an ancient custom in the land of Canaan, to pray to a grain god, or to a rain god, or to a fertility god, like Baal and Asherah and Dagon, then there's a very likely possibility that when Amisur comes to the land, they'll begin to serve these other gods and forget about their god. And that is exactly why Chumash itself begins with the story of creation in seven days, that what appears to be many powers of nature is really one god, who we refer to as Elohim. And during the most critical times of the agricultural year, we're going to have holidays that relate to the number seven. As that grain is going to be the staple that will help us survive during the entire year, the holiday itself will be called Shavuot because we are celebrating the very concept of a week and the story of creation. That would also explain why all these laws in chapters 15 and 16 all relate to the expansion of the concept of Shabbat and why the number seven is so central in all these laws. Now the next question will be, how are we going to say thank you to God? And that was seen now in the next verse. Verse 11, Aleph. Then you should rejoice before Hashem your God. You, your son and your daughter. Your servant and your maidservant. And a Levite in the gates of your community. And the stranger and the orphan and the widow in your midst. Where do you celebrate? Again, in the place that God will choose for his name to dwell. In this last verse, we find the commandment of happiness on the holiday. And it seems to be that the way that we thank God is by rejoicing in front of God. But when you look at that long list of people who need to rejoice, it seems rather superfluous to mention all the different groups of people. Just say everyone should be happy. Why mention 
you and your children and your servant and maidservant and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow? Just say everybody. But the key to answering that question, we will see now in verse 12. Pasuk Yudbet, V'zacharta ki evereita b'mitzrayim, V'shamarta v'asita et koach hukim ha'ele. You must remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you must keep and do all of these laws. Why am I mentioning once again this commandment to remember that you were a slave in Egypt? We've already seen that this phrase is used several times in Sefer Dvarim as a motivator to make sure to be kind and sensitive to a less fortunate person. We saw that in relation to giving an extra present and a bonus when you free your slave. That was back in chapter 15. We saw it in the Ten Commandments in relation to Shabbat, where God said, you must rest on the seventh day to make sure your workers have a day of rest, followed by, remember, you were a slave in Egypt. One of the key times we're going to find it is in chapter 24, verse 17 and 18. There we are commanded not to prefer justice for the stranger or for the orphan. Followed by, Remember, you were a slave in Egypt. And then afterwards, in verse 19, it says, When you're harvesting your field, make sure to leave over for the poor person, the law of Shichacha. And the same thing when you gather your olives, and the same thing when you gather your grapes. And there, in verse 22, in chapter 24, it ends with the same motivator, Remember, you were a slave in Egypt. So we see that consistently, throughout Sefer Dvarim, the memory of the Exodus is used to remind the people to be sensitive to the needs of the less fortunate. It's not just a commandment to have gratitude to God that He took you out of Egypt and say thank you, but rather it's a reminder how to act thank you. If God took you out of Egypt to establish a nation, the very character of that nation has to be one of sensitivity to the needs of the less fortunate. And therefore, the way we thank God is not by saying thank you, but by acting thank you. And based on this motivator that concludes the laws of Shavuot, I can go back and understand verse 11 in a very different light. God is not commanding all these people to be happy. He's not even commanding the farmer himself to be happy. Rather, the assumption is the farmer is happy anyhow because it's his harvest season. Who is not so happy during harvest season? The people who do not own land. Who doesn't own land? The servants and the maidservants, and the ger, the stranger, the orphan, the widow, and the Levite, because the Levite doesn't own land. And when all the farmers are becoming wealthy and harvesting their crops and very happy, the people who do not own land and do not harvest the field, they don't feel so happy. Therefore, what is Chumash telling the farmer to do? Make others happy. And the way you make God happy is by sharing your happiness with those who don't have. Rashi alludes to this exact concept in his commentary to verse 11, where he says, You make my four happy. You take care of the Levite, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, and I'll take care of you and your family and your servants. You make my four happy, I'll make your four happy. The Rambam, Maimonides, in the laws of Hilch Yom Tov in chapter 6, Halacha 18, he's very harsh on this idea, and he says, If you celebrate the holiday, and do not make other people happy, and don't take care of the less fortunate. And he says, if you sit and enjoy the holiday only with you and your family, friends, and buddies, but don't consider and take care and help those who are either socially poor or financially poor, and make them happy, there he says, you're not making God happy, you're making your tummy happy. He calls it Simchat Kriso, as opposed to Simchat Yom Tov. In this manner, Simchat Yom Tov is not you becoming happy, but it's taking your happiness 
and using it to make others happy. And that might be the deeper meaning of Psalm 100, that we say every morning, serve God with happiness, which does not imply when I bring a Thanksgiving offering that I have to be happy when I bring the Korban, but rather use my happiness to thank God by making other people happy. As we will read very soon, we find the very same commandment of Simcha Yom Tov by Sukkot, with the very same long list of all the people who need to be made happy. But what's interesting is we do not find this commandment of Simcha when we bring the Korban Pesach and eat matzah for seven days. But the reason why is simple, because during the week of Passover, there's no harvest yet. The harvest is only beginning, and the farmer is worried. There's nothing to celebrate yet, other than the historical event of the Exodus, because we haven't brought any grain in yet. It's just beginning. When is the happy time? At the end of the grain harvest, seven weeks later, then the farmer is happy. And several months later, at the end of the fruit harvest, in the seventh month, he's happy again at Chag HaSif. It's when the farmer is happy, thanks to his harvest. That's exactly why Chavish commands you at that time to be happy. And the commandment isn't that you be happy, it's to make other people happy. Use your happiness in the service of God. If that interpretation is correct, we find this is part of a larger range of laws in Sefer Tzvarim that all point to a larger theme of establishing a just and upright society in the land of Israel and by doing so, sanctifying God and making God's name great at the national level. With this background, let's continue now in verse 13 with the holiday of Sukkot. Chag HaSukkot taselecha shivat yamim Celebrate the holiday of Sukkot for seven days. Again, the number seven. When you gather the products of your threshing floor and your wine vat. Again, like we saw before, how do you thank God? Verse 14. You should be happy on your holiday. You, your son, your daughter, your servant, your maidservant, the Levite, and the stranger, orphan and widow who are in your midst. Pasuk Tedva, verse 15, Seven days you must celebrate for Hashem your God. Again, where do we celebrate? In the place that God is going to choose to make His name known. Because Hashem your God has blessed you. With all your produce and with all the endeavors of your hand. And then even you can be happy. In other words, first make others happy, make all the people who do not own land and are not so happy during harvest season, make sure that they are happy, and then even you can be happy. It's interesting in the popular song that we sing, the song begins with the opening phrase of verse 14 and skips the rest of that verse and the beginning of the next verse and continues with the closing phrase of verse 15. And what does it skip? It skips the main commandment of the holiday because when you sing it seems like you have to be happy and it's missing the whole point that the main thrust of Chumash here is not you being happy, but it's making other people happy. And if you are aware in psychology, usually true happiness comes when you're able to help others more than helping yourself. Now the last two lines of the section will form a summary of the entire unit. Pasuk Tetzayin, verse 16. Three times in the year, 
וחג המצות, וחג השבועות, וחג הסוכות, ולא יראה את פני אדוני ריקם. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before Hashem your God in the place that he's going to choose, on the holiday of Matzot, on Shavuot, and on Sukkot. And when you come to be seen by God, do not come empty-handed. Each person shall give as he is able, according to the blessing that Hashem your God has given to you. So we see in the summary verse, that the main theme of all three holidays is that they're going to be celebrated in Yerushalayim, in HaMakom HaShiv Har Hashem, in the place that God will choose. That fits very nicely to the overall theme since chapter 12 of establishing one national center that will be the hub of our nation and the center for teaching Torah and our connection to God. And in addition to that, the need to thank God by bringing from the good of your produce and from your animals, bringing them to Yerushalayim, sharing that produce together with all the poor and the needy and the less fortunate, and making Yom Tov a happy time for everyone, and by not only saying thank you to God, but also by acting thank you. To conclude this share, I would like to sort of summarize all the different times we find in the Torah, the laws of the holidays. The first time we found them as a group was in Parshat Mishpatim, in chapter 23, in the book of Shemot, in verses 14 through 17. There, for the first time, we find the three pilgrimage holidays, Sholosh Regalim, Tehogdi Bashana, and we had Chag Masot in the Aviv, Chag Katsir for our grain harvest, and Chag Asif at the end of the year. And then in verse 17 there, the summary, Sholosh Pambim Bashana, Yere Koz Chorcha Pnei Hashem. Three times a year, all the males have to be seen by God. That was the first time the holidays were presented. Those are the laws that were given in Parsha Mishpatim, on the same day as the Ten Commandments. Then when Moshe goes up to our Sinai during the first 40 days, he receives more laws that explain in more detail the laws that they first received in Parshat Mishpatim. Now to prove that these laws were first given during the first 40 days in Har Sinai, simply take a look in Parshat Kitisa in chapter 34 in Sefer Shemot, after the story of the Golden Calf, we have a repeat of the three pilgrimage holidays, in chapter 34, verse 22, it says, There, to our surprise, the holiday is called Shavuot and not Chag Katsir. How can Chumash call Shavuot Shavuot before giving the commandment of counting seven weeks? I can call it a grain harvest holiday, a Chag Katsir, but how can I call it Shavuot? Well, the answer now is quite simple. If the laws that we find Moshe Rabbeinu teaching in Parshat Re'i were first given on the first 40 days in Har Sinai, they were given before the sin of the golden calf. Now when God repeats the laws of the holidays to Moshe Rabbeinu after the sin of the golden calf, he can refer to the holiday that was first called Chag HaKatsir as Chag HaShavot because Moshe Rabbeinu was already told during the first 40 days in Har Sinai that this holiday would now be called Chag HaShavot. Note as well that both in Sefer Shemot and Sefer Dvarim, there are no lunar dates to the holidays because their very nature is agricultural there's no need for a lunar date because it has everything to do with the sun, with the agricultural cycle of the year, and it has nothing to do with the moon. The first time we have lunar dates of the holidays, that is in chapter 23 in the book of Aikra in Parshat Tamor, where I have all the holidays, not just the three pilgrimage holidays. We also have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Shemini Atzeret. There, all the holidays have both a lunar date and a solar date. They're both historical and agricultural. 
And then finally, in Sefer Bamidbar, in chapters 28 and 29, in Parsha Pitras, I find the Korban Tamid Musafim, I find the additional sacrifices that were brought on all the holidays. There again, I find the lunar calendar, similar to the laws that were in Parsha Tamar. And there, I have more detail what specific Korban was brought as the additional Korban on each of the holidays. As the law sections in the books of Vayikram Bamidbar focus primarily on rituals in the Beit HaMikdash, it makes sense why the detailed laws of the Korbanot, of the sacrifices, are found in Vayikra and Bamidbar. But in relation to building a just society, that's the primary topic of Sefer Dvarim, as well as the National Center. That's why we find these specific details of the Shoshwar Galim, specifically in Sefer Dvarim, and not in the previous books. With this, we conclude our study at Parshat Re'eh. Next week, we will begin Parshat Shoftim.